0: The following resource is by CBC Mokopani. For more resources like this, check out our website at www.christbaptistmokopani.com. Philippians chapter 2 from verse 5 through 11 um, sets up our theme, really, and it's a text we've been in a few times as a church. And this morning we come to it once again to look at... Christmas theology but you might not have had that in the same sentence in the past but Christmas theology and really what I want to say is that Christmas is simple or Christmas should be simple but in our day and age it's not it's has been sold out. It's been taken hostage by the world in the sense that the humility and the poverty, as we've just sung, the humility and the poverty in the stable is confused with wealth and indulgence of selfishness and gift-giving. The quietness of Bethlehem has been confused with the noise in our shopping malls. The seriousness of the Incarnation is confused with the silliness of the party spirit. The blinking lights have become compared with the star of heaven. So it's really become a confusion. It's perhaps become a time of chaos. But when we When we take all these things and we strip it away, when we strip away the cheap plastic toys, the flying reindeer, when we strip away the modern approach to Christmas, there's one thing that should remain. The birth of Christ. Whether, and I know we want to argue and say, but Christ wasn't born in December, so why are we celebrating in December? between us right pagans kind of set this up originally christianity hijacked it christianity hijacked it in that we celebrate christ becoming man so i want to continue by saying this the only element in the christmas season of celebration that has lasting effect is Christ and His sacrifice. Santa, if you will, cannot give you any strength. He cannot give you peace or comfort, hope or love, or the promise of confidence in the future. This is because there's no lasting value in any earthly gift. What happens after Christmas? What happens after the New Year? All the lights get packed away. The Christmas tree gets taken down and goes back into storage only to collect dust once again. And with it, we put away, perhaps, the celebration of Christ. All Christmas has to offer truly has to offer is Jesus Christ it's not about the meals and inviting strangers into our homes it is about Jesus Christ who truly gives hope who truly gives peace and joy and comfort that's the person the imagery the symbols None of that can give us these things. Luke chapter 2 verse 11 says that Christ would be a savior. Mark 10.45 says the son of man has come to serve. Luke 19.10 says he has come to save. So what is the celebration then really about? Always celebrating the birth of Christ? You see, because if the Old Testaments, the prophets, had to look at this, they were prophesying that a liberator, a saviour, would come. And He's coming, not just to live, but to die. A death we deserve. If we had to look at it from Mary and Joseph's standpoint, this is their son. If we look at it from the standpoint of the angels or the shepherds or even the wise men would that be enough would that be reassuring for us well I want us this morning to look at it from Paul's point of view in Philippians chapter 2 see Paul presents us with a picture of Christ's humanity Christ's position, what he left behind, what he took on, who who he became so that we could have this life. So, this morning, we have five points before us, five points of Christmas theology, all right? And um, let's start by just reading our passage and then I'll pray for us. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Therefore God has highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Our Savior, we pray this day as we take on these verses that we would just be once again enlightened of this beautiful transition this beautiful act of life giving sacrifice so that we would know true peace so that we would know the father so that we would have a future hope that is laid out before us therefore we give thanks in your name alone amen so we come firstly to Christ's sovereign position. I know maybe some of you like Hallmark movies, and this is the time for all of that, perhaps. The problem I have, besides ongoing blasphemy and whatnot, is the baby Jesus. Baby Jesus, baby Jesus in a manger. Yes, that's significant. And that had to happen. But if the focus remains just on Jesus being the babe, we're missing it. We're missing it. Because in order for Jesus God to become the babe, we need to acknowledge that He is firstly sovereign and that He was before in a sovereign position. Listen, this is something that the angels, according to the book of Revelation, struggle to comprehend, Christ taking on humanity, Christ leaving a sovereign throne, you see this is about His person, this is about His nature, it's about His character, it's about His attributes in eternity before He came. Literally when we read it, it says he being in the form of God He being in the form of God now being denotes the person's essential nature. It it is our essence. Okay It's it's what's unchangeably true about us and So this describes this part of Christ that's unchangeable and therefore it's essential To Christ's very existence we've seen in John's letter we've seen in John's gospel when John says in the beginning was the word the word was with God and the word was God it tells us unchangeable when when Christ comes into the world he doesn't stop being God scripture says This word who was in the beginning, who was with God, who was God, becomes flesh. That's sovereign. That's sovereign. So being in the form of God adds another component. See, the Greek word is morphe. And it refers to the characteristics of someone. The word form doesn't really work well in, in in our English language. Because form kind of gives the notion that it's something that's on the outside. But when we take the word morph, it means the essential abiding characteristics or attributes that belong to someone. So we start with the fact that Christ Jesus is God. That's unchangeable. This is his sovereign possession. He is God. He possesses all characteristics that belong to God. But our next phrase says, and you're welcome to follow along. The next phrase in our verse says, He did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. Again, focus on the word, the verb, grasp. It can mean to seize something, to take hold of something, or to pull it away. It can mean to hang on to something or cling to something. That's that's just one way of looking at this word grasp. We'll look at a second just in a moment. But this first form is not Christ. Christ did not seize. He didn't take hold of. He didn't pull it away. Because someone else did. Someone else did. And it got them kicked out of heaven. Right? Lucifer or Satan, however you would word him, wanted equality with God. And so, this was something for him to be taken. This was something for him to pull away. And we know he was unsuccessful. Jesus doesn't do this. For Jesus, equality with God is not something that's needed to be snatched. And this is how we interpret it. Having equality with God was not something he clung to. However, he possessed equality with God And was willing to let it go I'll say it again he possessed equality with God and still he was willing to let it go not to cling to not to seize but to let it go therefore verse 7 says he emptied himself he emptied himself Some people interpret this to mean that He emptied Himself of His deity. You know, that He stopped being God. That's Him emptying Himself. He can't do that because that's His nature. He doesn't stop being God. He remains fully God. But He empties Himself in one sense of His divine glory. How does that look? Well, when Christ comes in human form, Does He glow? Is He born with a halo? No, He's veiled in flesh. He's veiled in flesh. Not only did Christ, in a sense, give up this divine glory, but He gave up the independent exercise of His will. Scripture tells us, when Jesus said, I came not to do my will, but the will of Him who sent me. So He gave up, in a sense, His own personal authority. In a sense, He gave up His omnipotence. This is the emptying of Himself. I like to argue and say the emptying of Christ was an addition. It's not a subtraction, but an addition, in that he took on another form. He took on humanity. Listen, Jesus had all the privileges of being God, and he chooses to set these privileges aside so that he could serve sinners in the Father's will. That's how the story of Christmas begins. It begins with the Son of God abandoning a sovereign position. Are you with me? It's hard, but it's because we haven't ever reflected upon it. Christ gives up this sovereign position. And look at the second part of verse 7. By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. So he abandons the sovereign position for a lowly position, and that is Christ's position as a slave. Christ's position as a slave. You see, he comes down from being the king of heaven, right? we have to remember before christ becomes man who he is who he was the king of heaven and now he's a slave now he's a servant to man he takes off the robes of royalty for the rags of a slave here we have that word again morph morph Where he takes on the attributes of a slave. He literally becomes a slave. As scripture says, he came not to be served, but to serve. This is why to the Jews it didn't make sense. The Messiah they had in mind was to come and rule. Was to come and cleanse the nation. Yet the Messiah who came, as scripture prophesied, was a servant born in a lowly manger so he literally becomes a slave and we ask how does he come to serve Christ gives his life see Jesus didn't just take on the image of a slave or he didn't model the image of a slave, he takes on the very attributes of a servant, the very characteristics of a slave. Why or how Christ was in total submission to the will of another. He was in total submission to the will of his Father and he gladly submitted to this will. He gladly becomes a slave of God in order to serve us, in order to save us in our greatest need. Friends, this brings us to a third position. Christ's position with sinners. See, if He was to save sinners, then He needed to be with sinners. And so our text is is found in verse 8. It says this being found in human form. Just till there. Being found in human form. What do we know about man? Help me out. What does Romans say? The gospel according to Paul. Romans says. That we are all sinners from birth that because sin spread from one man to all we are now all born in sin and because of the sin the wages of the sin is death human form therefore is in sin Christ's position is with sinners not only does he become a servant or a slave or like us In Him remaining sinless, He chooses to be with sinners. He comes down as a slave, being found in appearance as a man. Literally, that's Him becoming human. And this is the mystery of the Incarnation. He's not half God, half man. He's not all God, masked as a man. But He is fully God, fully man. He associates with sinners that's how sinful people could approach him It says he was being found in a form of man he was made in the likeness of men he looked like a man and that's important okay Jesus didn't walk around as I said with a halo he didn't go around with a glow he didn't hover above the ground Did everything a man does, right? Nobody could just look at him and say, That's God. He experienced the things that we as human beings experienced. Jesus worked. How about that? I don't want to work. Jesus never worked. Jesus worked. He had a trade, he learned a trade jesus became hungry right don't try and go fast for 40 days it was miraculous right jesus was thirsty jesus became tired he became angry oh did you know about that jesus was angry some would say but isn't anger a sin no no scripture says be angry and do not sin. jesus cried you know about that Shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. Jesus was grieved. Jesus, one of His best friends, died. I mean, he experienced that. He became a man. And so John the Baptist had to point to Him and say, Behold, the Lamb of God. Otherwise, no one would have known. John says, no, no, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Otherwise, no one would recognize Him. Many still didn't believe in Him. Is that because nothing stood out about Him physically? And even after Jesus established a ministry where He raised people from the dead, where He cast out demons, where He heals diseases, where He feeds thousands of people, they still weren't sure that He is God. Some, in the form of the Pharisees and the religious leaders, said that if He had power, His power came from hell. No. Therefore it brings us to Christ's selfless position. Remember this is Christmas. Hey! We celebrate Christmas, isn't it? But we take for granted Christ. You see in verse 8, it carries on by saying, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That is selfless. Not only was Jesus selfless in coming down, leaving his sovereign position, taking on the position of a slave, or positioning himself among sinners, but he gives himself, he gives his life. He's selfless. Listen, this I think we, one of the greatest pictures we see of this. Selflessness isn't necessarily in the acts that Jesus does, but in his prayer. Specifically, his prayer in the garden. Jesus prays and he says, Father, let this cup pass from me. Now, listen, Jesus knows this cup's not going to pass. Therefore, he says, Yet not my will but your will be done that's selfless he lives and he grows up in humility not many people knew who he was fact no one knew that he was the one who made the universe yet he comes down But he didn't just humble himself to come into this world. Scripture says that he humbled himself all the way to death. And we could say, sure, that's a sacrifice. To death? Man, I could admire that. But Paul goes ahead and says, death, even death on a cross. There's significance here, friends. He doesn't take a bullet. He doesn't pass on quickly. He takes on what is historically known, some would argue, as one of the most excruciating ways of dying. Is to be impaled, nailed to wood and then flung into the air. To be in a position where you're suffocating, not breathing, yet alone the pain that's going through your arms and legs. That's after he just took a death penalty, by the way. The scourging, that in itself was a death penalty. Many people didn't survive the scourging. It's excruciating. But this is his obedience. This is his selflessness that he becomes obedient even to death, death on a cross. Listen, he stooped down all the way to die for sinners. See, not only was the death on a cross painful, it's also shameful. Deuteronomy chapter 1, 23 says... Cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree. Christ becomes, we sang it, a curse for us. He takes on the wrath of God on our behalf. That's His selfless position. That's His humility. That is the sacrifice. Now because of this, We come to Christ's exalted position from verse 9 Christ's exalted position verse 9 says therefore or for this reason everything we've just read until now for these things this is the reason God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow In heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see for this reason, the reason of his submission, the reason of his humiliation, his obedience to death, the reason for perfectly obeying the Father and accomplishing redemption Paul says God highly exalted him. He doesn't stay in the grave. He doesn't raise from the grave only to die again. Scripture says the Father exalts him to his own right hand. That's remarkable, isn't it? He's enthroned with glory and so Paul goes on to say and bestowed upon him is the name that is above every name the name that's above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow we want to say but at the name of Jesus the highest name is Jesus He is Lord. He is Lord. If Jesus isn't Lord, then the name Jesus means nothing. Jesus saves, right? So add this name, who is Lord. That's the name. The name above every name. To this name, Paul says, every knee will bow. Where? In the heavens. On the earth. And under the earth. I'm going to say, but there's a theology, or a few theologies out there that say, there's no hell. At least not yet. Well, where do sinners go? And what does scripture refer to? Yeah, yeah, we're we're waiting for the eternal lake of fire. I I agree. But sinners go to a place of torment. And, and, And God's word says, Even there, every tongue will confess. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is that's Christmas I mean come on Jesus Christ is Lord and if you confess Jesus as Lord with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead you will be saved that's what scripture says you cry out to this name and he saves he saves from hell he saves from sin he saves from judgment christmas that's the gift that's the theology so we now have this opportunity to call upon the god man to repent of our sin to ask for salvation to trust in for salvation so if you choose to confess him now God's word says you will be saved. He will save you. Here's the thing if you don't want to confess Jesus now, you will confess Jesus. But it will be in bitterness and it will be in remorse forever in hell. Everyone will confess. That's Psalm 2. Everyone will bow before Him. Whether we choose to do so willingly or whether He breaks the knee. Everyone will bow before Christ. Everyone will confess Christ. So, but how does someone confess they don't want to? Have you read about Balaam? Balaam tried to curse God's people. And the only thing that came out of his mouth was blessing upon God's people. Friends, we have the opportunity to approach Christmas with a Savior. We get to enjoy the Savior. Yeah, we sing the carols, we look forward to a time of rest. But this rest is temporary. Listen, we don't know what the next year holds for us, but I tell you this. Christ said that we will suffer many things, so hey, there's your 2022 for you. It's not a full number. It's not a double-digit number. It doesn't mean prosperity. Perhaps it does for some, but that's not the promise. Yet Christ... Is our true rest. Christ is our true gift. So if we call upon Him, rest upon Him as He gave Himself away, remaining God, the Sovereign Lord becoming a humble slave, a friend of sinners, one who selflessly sacrifices, He is the exalted Savior. So that's my invitation. I know Christmas is a week away, but I invite you to Christmas now. Come and experience Jesus Christ. Experience His His hope, His love. Perhaps you're a Christian. And you say, but I I already have Christ. Uh, It's already Christmas. But for the last couple of months, maybe even years, it hasn't felt like you have Christ. That in your relationship it's just not being healthy. Again, I invite you, come to Christ. But I don't know what to say. Come to Christ. Scripture tells us that the Holy Spirit helps us when we don't know what to say. Friends, therefore, we can agree with the prophet when he says that his name, his wonderful counselor, Prince of Peace, This is His ministry for us. Therefore, we can exalt Him. We can praise Him. We can serve Him. And we can obey Him. Let's give thanks. Our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. What a remarkable opportunity it is just to once again look at who you are and what you've done. And what you continue to do for us. How you continually minister to our hearts. I pray that in this time for many of us who perhaps may be confused about our relationship with you for many of us who have just grown tired and out of routine for some of us who have just become so lukewarm and out of the commitment Lord would you come and restore do you come to this church and and restore the commitment the, the devotion of a people to one another and to You. I pray that in this season, Lord, You would truly help us to remain focused upon You and Your goodness. That as we plan the year ahead and we know what Your Word says, we know what Proverbs 16 says, and I, I pray that our, our hearts would, would be in submission to Your final Word, to Your say upon our lives. And we thank you for the the theology of Christmas, Christ. That we can today be here gathered in, in unity and in harmony because of what you've done. And that ministry that still continues. So we give thanks and we pray this in your name. Amen.